it was uh, March 31st, I think was the actual date. Pretty sure it was like a Friday morning. And I think that the main issue we had is that we just didn't know what to expect. I was aware that the system had crossed over the coast of North Queensland and then that Thursday morning I actually come to work with um, things to pack up in, whether it was boxes or laundry baskets, that sort of thing. We, we put furniture one on top of the other. We put stuff as high as we could on top of shelves or fridges. Whatever we could lift up, we did. But yeah, yeah, I mean, almost nothing was, was high enough. So everyone thought that they probably had more time. So when I come in and saw what had happened in here, I was even gobsmacked. Gerard and Sharina are from Lismore in northern New South Wales and both own businesses in the CBD. Gerard owns Benchtop Espresso, a specialty teas and coffee shop on Keene Street. And we also specialise in Middle Eastern food, which is my heritage from Israel. And Sharina owns the business next door, Charmaine's Hair Salon. The salon's actually existed since 1974, and I've owned it since... Um, well, for 22 years, so I've been here myself as the owner. At the end of March last year, the levee along the Wilsons River, the river lining the coast of Lismore, overflowed, which saw a massive amount of water surge towards the CBD. The floods hit the city centre in the early hours of Friday the 31st, and although they knew it was coming, they didn't know just how bad it would be. Uh, it must have been that Monday, I think, we were able to go back. Sunday or Monday, and um, yeah, it was a mess. I didn't even wait for the water to completely go down. I just put on some boots and just, as soon as it was low enough for me to walk through, I did. The water was above my head, so if you can imagine mirrors in a hairdressing salon, how how high they are, um, it actually went above them. So it was probably only a metre from the ceiling, so we were pretty well inundated. Water everywhere. Everything collapsed, all the fridges, all the food going off and the smell of that and the coffee machine went under. Everything was covered in this kind of thick mud and and the smell of that sort of flood water mixed with gasoline. Probably about four or five days later it hit me. I um, got quite emotional. The salon was clean, ready to go, but the CBD was still cut off so no one could come in here. So it was like a ghost town and it really started to hit the town that nobody might come back. And I see a lot of businesses now that still are struggling emotionally. Like the business is still doing fine and they're still running, but it's it's just hitting them now. Especially we've just had the one year anniversary and it's been quite wet up here again. So every time it rains, it creates, yeah, lots of hidden emotions. Weighing up their overall damages, Sharina was down nearly $20,000. And Gerard, including the cost of a new coffee machine, could have been fifty to $60,000 out of pocket. But when it came to whether or not they were covered... Were you covered under flood insurance? No. I am not. No. But you knew it was going to happen as well. Yeah, we're actually not covered for floods. Lismore is renowned for floods. But unfortunately for Gerard and Sharina, even if they wanted insurance, no companies were offering cover for their businesses in the case of a flood event, which still to this day 
essentially leaves them as sitting ducks. Today on the show, can we insure against climate change? And are insurance companies equipped or even bothered to cover us? You're listening to Think Sustainability. My name is Jake Morecambe. The conversation around flood cover involves one massive principle, something that's known as... The term one in 100 year flood. The one in 100 year flood statistical definition was first used back in 1973. But according to Lance Leslie, professor of climatology at the University of Technology, Sydney... I hear one in 100 year flood. It's making me think... There'll be a flood every 100 years. Correct. But that's not exactly correct. No, it's not. It's often seen as in the next 100 years there will be one. But what it actually means... There's a 1% chance of that flood occurring in any given year. So what's the difference? A 1% chance of a flood occurring in any given year might sound pretty low... But if you do the math and put this against a 30-year period, for example, which is typically how long your standard mortgage is... The simplest terms possible. A 1% chance of a flood occurring in any given year actually means a flood has a... 99% chance of not occurring. And this means that that 99%... Would be 0.99 to the 30th power. 74%. And what this means is there's actually a 26% chance of a flood occurring over that 30-year period. Lance believes this model of the 1 in 100-year flood has been widely miscommunicated and that there are actually a number of problems with it. Why do you think that this has been miscommunicated? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, as a mathematician, to me it's second nature. So I guess it just hasn't been explained well. Lance argues not only does this scale not take climate variability into account, including weather events like El Nino and more broadly climate change, but also that our flood records aren't clear enough for the last century to be able to label something as a one in 100 year flood. Frequently, the records are not long enough, so they use other techniques which amount to fairly dodgy, but best you can do approaches. And another concern is that this model isn't just used to map out flood zones, but is in fact a ploy for profit, selling property under the guise of a flood every 100 years, without communicating what this probability actually entails. True or otherwise, rumours circulating around the weather centre at the University of Oklahoma where I was before coming to UTS, where the people deliberately built on in floodplain areas because they get a new house every 20 years, whatever. That's kind of the cynical view. Meaning, like, people continue to, like, feed into the economy by moving or buying property or, like, kind of skirting around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you believe that? I think some of it must go on. To buy within a 100-year floodplain... Numbers-wise, there's a 63% chance of one or more flood events occurring over that 100-year period. Some might weigh up their losses and actually be fine with that. 
but to Tim Andrews, a financial consultant specialising in natural perils. If I was looking to buy myself... To him, it's not worth it. I was looking to buy a property and I knew it was in a one in 200 year zone, I wouldn't be thinking about buying it. To me, that's too high a risk of flood at that location. The model isn't limited to 1 in 100. As you heard there, Tim was talking about a 1 in 200-year floodplain, which equates to about an 87% chance of one or more floods occurring over that time. But Tim's main point is that not only might the 1 in 100-year flood model be used to reason for building permits or developments, but it may also be used by insurance companies to determine how much their cover will cost. Or if they'll cover you at all. There are different types of floods, so naturally there are different types of flood cover. There are three types of cover that are relevant for this story. One, riverine flooding. So this is where a watercourse breaks its banks and the water causes the damage. Like what happened in Lismore. Two, you could also get flash flooding, so just a lot of water landing in a short period of time. Which usually follows heavy rainfall. And three is storm surge, which are floods typically associated with some sort of environmental event like a hurricane or cyclone. Now, flood insurance won't cover all three. Typically, they're isolated bouts of insurance. In Lismore, small businesses weren't offered riverine flood cover, even though the CBD is smack bang next to the Wilsons River. But bigger businesses and houses could potentially be insured under other types of cover. Here's Sharina from Charmaine's hair salon in Lismore. Some people probably got around with it by talking about it being part of Cyclone Debbie, so you're covered for cyclones. That would be storm surge cover. The flood that hit Lismore was a ripple effect following Cyclone Debbie that struck northeastern Queensland. So some people got around it that way. A lot of people got it for, like you said, flash flooding, but that was more your homes. They got it for flash flooding for the first lot of water that comes through. But to this date, those who were covered, according to Sharina, still haven't been paid. Although Sharina and Gerard weren't and still aren't covered for their businesses, Sharina does have flood insurance for her home. Gerard, who owns Benchtop Espresso, is only renting, so he isn't covered. But he knows what it's like to have floodwaters billowing towards your house. A few years back, a flood hit the place Gerard was renting at the time. Gas battles and pipes kind of torn off the um, off the walls. Um, it was it was quite a high standing house with rooms underneath as well, and all those rooms got badly damaged with anything in them. So ever since then, I made sure that I always live as far away from the flood areas as possible. However, Sharina's house is a different story, and it's just a 10-minute drive up the road in a suburb called Gunelabar. It actually, my insurance policy, we laugh about this, actually gives us free flood cover up there, which is quite funny, because knowing very well, it will never flood up there. It's, it's way above the sea level, so... How does that make you feel that there's this disparity in this one area you're covered where it is very unlikely for a flood to occur, but where your business is and has indeed flooded in the past year, there's no offering of any sort of cover? How how do you view that? 
Yeah, it's it's very annoying, and I guess that's why the premiums are so high down here too, because it is an area that will flood again. Like it has flooded lots and lots of times, and it will it will flood. You're built on a river, so it will flood. High premiums for flood insurance isn't isolated to just Lismore. Following the 2011 Brisbane floods, flood insurance premiums spiked as thousands brought in claims for damaged homes and businesses in what was one of the most damaging, expensive and deadly floods to ever hit the country. And actually prior to the 2011 floods in a similar series of events to last year in Lismore, no insurance companies even offered cover in the form of riverine flooding, something that natural perils consultant Tim Andrews says had just not happened to this scale before. Most people didn't have cover for flood. And funnily enough, following that event, uh, there was outrage that people weren't protected and the PR the insurers got at that time was, was terrible, and understandably so. Various government inquiries followed the Brisbane floods around the definition of flood events and two cover policies, pushing for more equal cover for those in floodplains. But Tim says that this just doesn't discount the fact. In some of the higher risk areas, some insurers choose to not cover. Because for them, as a business... Sometimes it's just too risky, because if another Brisbane or Lismore comes around, they'll be making payouts left, right and centre. Coming up next, you'll hear why it's not just the lack of cover available, but the cost of insurance that's keeping those like Gerard and Sharina on the fringes. I guess for starters, I'm looking at about forty-seven thousand dollars a year to be to be covered for something that might happen, which is close to being all my income. Um, and to me, in small businesses, that's I don't even get paid that much out of the small business, so I'm not going to give that to an insurance company just in case. Make no profit, and for a flood that might or may not happen once every twenty or fifty years. Yeah, it's just unaffordable for a small business. We just can't afford it. The earliest flood records in Lismore date back to 1870, and since then there have been 30 major floods over 9.7 metres that have reached Lismore's CBD. That equals to a flood every eight years or so. So if you imagine a property that floods every 10 years, back to Tim Andrews... And that's before you allow for any margins the insurer may want to add on for their expenses and their profit. The cost of insurance for small businesses is just incomprehensible. If the cost of flood insurance were to come down in the area in which your business is located, would you seek flood insurance for it? Thought about that. What was probably one insurance that I would consider would be like the loss of trade. But then when you look at the terms of loss of trade insurance, it doesn't cover you for floods or inundation of water. But to me, that was probably my biggest, the biggest loss was loss of trade. 
would you seek flood cover for your business? Oh, yeah, 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 most likely. Do you see that as feasible? Do you think that that would likely happen, or do you think the companies are pretty set in their ways as to not offer I cover? I doubt it's going to happen. I mean, in, in five, five, six years, maybe the memory will fade and they might start offering stuff again. But I doubt it's going to be feasible. Like I'm, I'm doubting that they're gonna go out of their way to reduce their premiums, and um, yeah, if, if they're gonna offer it at all. Bringing down the price of flood premiums is a hot topic that, at this point, has no real solution. One report after the Brisbane floods proposed a flood fund pool, where the government would set aside money to help those affected by flood. Natural Perils consultant Tim Andrews sees this as a good idea in principle, but that the government hasn't acted full-heartedly here, because ultimately what they're after is a price signal, a signal that would trickle down to reduce the cost of premiums and flood cover overall. And what might help push for this is stronger flood mitigation, because more mitigation strategies means a lower chance of disaster. You know it's going to flood. There's no question about that. It's going to flood. There's going to be a lot of water. But what you can do is you can decide where that water's going to go. This is Elizabeth Mossop, the Dean of the Design, Architecture and Building Faculty at the University of Technology, Sydney. So rather than going into people's living rooms, it can go into open space corridors, it can go under parking lots, it can go into sports fields and things like that, where it can sit for a few days. And how do you do that if floodwater's coming in? Is it through a system of like pipelines or what does that design look like? Well, if you think about, say, the suburb of Victoria Park in Sydney, it was designed with green infrastructure so that its parks and open spaces are a few feet below street level so that when there is heavy rain, that can fill up and hold a massive volume of water before it runs away into the stormwater system. A lot of the time, if you can simply hold the water for 24 hours or 48 hours, then the normal stormwater system can cope with it if the water is coming into it more slowly. Is that sort of infrastructure expensive to do? No, it's generally no more expensive than conventional infrastructure. This is really just a a change in, in mindset. And so that... These are the sorts of measures that we should be building into our urban development more generally. Elizabeth also argues one of the most important ways to understand flood events is for these types of infrastructure to be visible, to be ingrained in the landscape alongside us. One of the things which has made that very difficult in cities like New Orleans is that all of the water is hidden. You can't see the river because it's behind levees and flood walls. You can't see the canals because they're behind flood walls. There's water absolutely everywhere in the city, but it's invisible. And where we make our natural systems invisible, we're much less able to think about what they mean and what the consequences are of these sorts of of changes. In Lismore, the levee stretches three kilometres along the Wilsons River and is up to 11.5 metres tall. And until an overflow or flood event, Lismore experiences the same thing, 
a separation of visibility from what lies beyond the wall. And one of Sharina's biggest concerns. The worst case scenario is that wall is going to break. You got all that pressure and all that water coming down there. It can break and it could break at any time. To me, that is going to be like a tsunami then, when that wall breaks coming to town, and anyone in town then is going to more than likely lose a lose a life. A lot of people would say, well, the government forks out a fair bit of money after these events occurs. So there's post-event funding of disasters, and we need a lot more pre-event funding to reduce the risk. And that seems to make a lot of sense to me that there's a, a more return to be made by investing in that mitigation. But look, it's not a time when governments have got a lot of spare cash lying around, so that is a, it's a difficult environment to get those funds, albeit a, a more sensible approach to the problem. One other strategy that would be nowhere near as expensive as building a new levee would be to properly inform those living in floodplains to the actual likelihood of a flood event occurring, or even what type of floodplain they're living in. Sharina is a local in Lismore, so she knows what the deal is. But that's only because not only has she experienced flood firsthand. But because everything else—the meteorological data, the flood history data, the type of floodplain she's in—she only knows all this because she's looked it up herself. Like as soon as I hear ten meters, I'm thinking of packing up. And when it was ten point five, I am packing up. And eleven meters, it's going to come over the wall. And eleven point five, it's in town. So there, there, your river heights. Is that something you had to? Kind of teach yourself. Yeah, I guess it is because all that information is out there, but you actually have to seek it. So you've got the SES, you've got the Lismore City Council. Like you have, and everything's online these days. There's no excuses, so you don't have to have them knocking at your door to tell you. Everything is out there for you to seek. But I, I don't think people are seeking it, and when they do, they're probably left it too too late to seek. Unfortunately, this was the case for Gerard. Prior to the floods, he had no flood plan in place. But in the fallout, he and Sharina made sure that next time they were each other's first point of call. She is definitely one of my contacts, and I'm one of hers. We're only joking. The other day, he's finally put up his flood plan that I asked him to, and his first thing to do is to contact me to help them with any information. I guess the bigger question is: Should we be building in these flood-prone areas at all? Well, that is the question. Elizabeth Mosop from the University of Technology, Sydney, again. And in places like Australia, where you'd want to prevent people from developing in areas that places them at risk, but what we now have is a situation where the risk has increased in a lot of our existing developed areas. And so, what that means is that we've got to adapt them to reduce that risk. The good thing, though, is that there are budgets for infrastructure, and that infrastructure gets renewed over time. So that what that means is that as we come back to redevelop our roads or to redevelop our parks, all of that should happen in a way that addresses these questions about. Climate change and about increasing resilience. There's no reason why you can't design a road to store a whole lot of water underneath it. 
or to collect it in bioswales, which is like a big planted trough along the side of the road to slow the water down and to clean the water before it goes into the stormwater system. Mm. So that it's really a question of what are the right strategies for a specific place. But whether insurance companies would consider offering cover with these mitigation strategies in place, Natural Perils consultant Tim Andrews says remains to be seen. It's going to be another challenge in future with properties near to the coast and the coastal flooding impacts that will emerge over time. Again, they won't be everywhere, but there'll be certain properties that have been built in areas that are low-lying near to the coast and are going to become uninsurable at some stage down the track with climate change and we'll be facing all of these issues again. What's kind of keeping you there? Because with Sharina, she was saying, you know, I've, I've lived here for such a long time. I know that the floods occur, but I want to stay here. This is my community. Is there anything kind of in the back of your mind saying, well, maybe I should move away from a flood zone or, or do you want to stay? What, what's going through your mind? Um, yeah, look, of course, there's definitely this sort of, oh, is it worth staying or not? Uh, but like Sharina said, at the end of the day, this is our community and the community is very supportive. And so if it wasn't, let's put it this way, the businesses that went doing well did not stick around after the flood. It was never a question of whether we should rebuild or not. It was always a question of we definitely have to. We have a good business, we have a good community, and um, we're, we're here. So, you know, even if we have to deal with floods, then we have to deal with floods. That's the way it is. That's the show. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to us. If you aren't already, all you need to do is jump onto your favorite podcast app or iTunes and press subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a review. It does help others find the show. Also, more info on our website. Just head to 2ser.com forward slash think sustainability. This show is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Jake Morecambe, and I'll catch you next time.